0: After almost two years, I wanted to have what we are going to be doing next, and I just, I couldn't decide this week, so I'll have to decide next week. Uh, it is, it is more, more than likely going to be uh, a little bit of time in the Old Testament. I like to flip, flip-flop back and forth, go from o- Old Testament to New Testament, back to uh, New Testament. Or I think I said that right. Yeah, but we've been in the New Testament for so long, I think we'll go spend a little bit of time, maybe not two years, but a little bit of time in the Old Testament. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I don't know if you're anything like me, but growing up, we did many stupid things. I think that's part of growing up. You do stupid things. And I think one of the reoccurring themes in our stupidity uh, always had to do with fireworks. I don't know what it is with boys and fireworks, uh, but you give us some fireworks, you don't give us a little bit of supervision, and we're gonna do stupid things with them. That was no less true, you think of that's true of, in adolescence, that doesn't end in adolescence. Uh, I think it's just a boy thing. I remember in college, we stuck a bunch of sparklers down a uh, Pringles can and shoved a bunch of stuff in there just to see what it would do. And it was very bright and shiny, um, which is fun. Uh, but one of the stories I'll never forget from my childhood is we, I had just started driving, so I was 15 years old. And there was this big, empty parking lot in a neighborhood. It was backed by a waste treatment facility. And me and some friends decided we were going to have a firework war. I don't know if you've ever been part of a firework war, but the basic gist of it is to get bottle rockets and Roman candles and to try to shoot them at each other. It's very smart. It's very intelligent. You can tell that our high IQ level was through the roof. So we're one day we're back in this this parking lot and it's and shooting fireworks at each other like smart people do, Uh, and this car came back in there, and this gun came out the window and guy shot some fires in the fired some shots in the air. This I jump in my car, I get a few people in there with me and I take off. There's still a bunch of people back there and they go one way. I just left them. And you may be asking me at this point, what is the point of this story? The point is that it seems fantastic, doesn't it? It seems like I'm probably making it up. I'm not. It really happened. Uh, But the only thing that you have to go on is my word that the story occurred, right? It was a fantastic story. It was stupid. We were crazy, but it was no less true. We have just concluded Easter, right? The resurrection story. It is described life emerging from the empty tomb, from the shadow of the cross and death. A man has been crucified, and the claim is that he is risen from the dead. And to the watching world, this story seems preposterous. Just as you may have shaken your head at me and say, there's no way that that's true. There's no way you got in your four-door Taurus and avoid being shot by this guy. I don't know what he was doing to this day. I don't know what he was doing. But it was true. And for us, with the story of the resurrection, we have evidences. The tomb was empty. Jesus was seen by many people, by the women, then disciples, and then eventually 500 at once. The reality is this, that the movement of Jesus at his death should have been over. It should have been done, and and certainly the Roman uh, authorities thought it was over, and certainly the Jewish leaders thought it was over. And they knew this from their own experience. There had been several small uprisings. A leader would come about. He would gather some people to himself Once that leader had been dealt with, the group would dissipate. They would scatter to the wind. But instead, with Jesus, something different happened. His message began to spread, it began to move out through Israel, it moved into the eastern corners of the Mediterranean Sea. Within one generation, it was all over the Roman Empire. What made this small band of rebels different than any other small band of rebels? Something different has to be going on. Because the movement didn't die away, it grew. And the difference... The difference is that Jesus did not remain dead. Jesus did not stay in the grave. Christianity is not solely, note the word solely, linked to Jesus' teaching. It is linked to his teaching, but it's also linked to his person. And because of this, his movement could not be stopped. Critics of the resurrection don't doubt the spread of Christianity. It is a historical, undeniable fact. Christianity spread, but they do doubt the validity of the resurrection. And because of this, we must be prepared to answer them. We have a God who came and who died and rose again. And his story can be corroborated. It starts from the very beginning, the origins of the universe. We have a creator who brought all things into existence. Does he care about our crea- his creation? Will he intervene to restore his creation? The Bible and certainly Jesus make the claim that God exists, that he created us, that he desires to restore us. This is the story of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus working to the restoration of all things from the very, very beginning. I will send one the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent all this was accomplished through Jesus' death through Jesus' resurrection and now he wants us to tell others about that story about what he has done and so we look today here at Jesus' great commission is what we call it uh, to his people And I want to look at this in two parts. First, I want us to consider the story of the commission. Because he's given us a commission, but that commission is nothing without the story. We might call it a small synopsis, as it were, of the last two years. Where we've gone through in the book of Matthew. And then secondly, we're going to look at the heart of the commission. The heart of the commission We'll see its structure, its content, and its meaning. But let's begin by looking at the story of the commission. In essence, when we say the story of the commission, we can just say, hey, let's look at the gospel. Because that's what the commission is. Jesus uh, burst into this world in a manger. And we get a little bit about his birth and a little bit about the intervening years. But when he was somewhere in his 30s, Jesus burst onto the scene with his miracles. All of a sudden, the blind were seeing, the mute were speaking, the hungry were leaving satisfied. As he went about with his miracles, he taught. He taught about the kingdom. He taught about the Bible and the word and about God. God. And as he healed and as he taught with power and with authority, he did things that offended the Jewish leaders. He healed on the Sabbath. He befriended the outcast and the sinners. He threw the merchants from the temple. And so they turned Israel against him. And we know as we led up to Easter... That he was betrayed by one of his own, Judas, one of the twelve. His disciples would flee from him. The soldiers would arrest him. Pilate would condemn, condemn him. And in spite of all this, he willingly goes to the cross. He knew that he would die. He knew in what he was doing he would die. And he still goes. He dies for us. And we've seen that on the cross he suffered the wrath of God. And we hear the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he receives our punishment, this separation from the Father, the essence of hell. He became sin for us. He suffered. In our place. And then he cried out that Good Friday, It is finished. I have made reconciliation for my people. I have finished my task. I have suffered the punishment that they deserved. And so he dies not in fear, but with peace and with confidence in what he has done. This is the story of the gospel. This is what each of us who claims Jesus, this is what we have to know and understand. And we tell others about this story and about the gospel and what God has done in our lives. This is the gospel. If I come and I say, please come up here and tell me. Tell me about how Jesus has worked in your life in some way. This has to be there. What is the meaning of the story the story of the resurrection sheds much light for us is there meaning in suffering and hardship is there hope in our hour of darkness the resurrection says yes yes there is hope yes there is meaning In our hour of darkness, it reminds us that there's more to this life than pain. There's more to this life than suffering. It enables us as we view this life to understand our pain, to understand our suffering, to understand others' pain and others' suffering. and It enables us to realize that, yes, we may die, but that death is not the end for us. So we can let loved ones go. We can ourselves not fear the death that will come to us. Because we have a risen Savior. The story leads, the gospel I should say leads, to the commissioning of his disciples. He calls them, as we see in our text here, to a mountain in Galilee. And as he comes into their presence, some worship, while others doubt. This word for doubt here is not an ordinary term in the Greek for doubt. It's uh, more of a believing but with hesitation. They have not yet digested all the implications of the death of and resurrection of their teacher. They are surprised, yet maybe in a way they're not yet sure who Jesus is. They hesitate. Even in this we see a comfort, because don't we as believers at times hesitate? Not everyone, or no one understands everything right away. Not even the original disciples But he comes to them, and he comes on this mountain, and he gives them a command. It's a command we've all heard, many of us can probably say from heart. What is this commission? What is it that he tells them here? What is the final command that he gives to his disciples here on this earth? As we begin to look at the Great Commission, I want us to notice its structure. It begins and ends with a common element. He is giving them and giving us a reason for going. It begins by saying this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. First, Jesus tells them that he has all authority. In his earthly ministry, Jesus had self-limited his authority. But now at his resurrection, he exercises all of his authority. God has bestowed that upon him. He sits at the right hand of God. He is reigning He had come to serve, but now he will be served. He says, you are to go because I have all authority in heaven and on earth. But he concludes with this. It's kind of a sandwich here of reasons for going. First, because Jesus has all authority. But second, at the end here, he says, for I will be with you always. To the end of the age. Jesus is God with us to redeem his people. He is God with us to purify his people. But he's also God with us to disciple the nations. We have his spirit as our strength. His spirit is here with us even now. Comforting us for our mission. Preparing us. For our mission. We are not alone, and because we are not alone, he tells us to go. But there's only one command here, really. He tells us how we're to do this command. There's several ways we know how to do this command, but there's only one real command here. Go therefore and make disciples he's going to tell us how we make disciples there's uh, several ways how we do this but the only command here is to make disciples and it's interesting here because he doesn't say go tell go tell people about me go grow the church go make converts he doesn't say anything like this now i'll step back a second and say this is all included in that but it's very interesting how he chooses To command this, he says, Go and make disciples. What is discipleship? If we think about that in terms of the church today, uh, we think about it this way discipleship is growing someone in the faith, it's taking them from infancy to maturity. It's not just about the conversion experience. He says, grow disciples, make disciples, lead them to maturity. This is to happen in the context, as the Greek tells us, of pontata ethne. I had a professor who taught me my gospels, synoptics and acts is what it was called, and I can't, I to this day, if I talk to one of my friends in class and I say, he said that phrase over and over again. It's probably one of the Greek phrases that I'll never forget in my entire life. I'll be on my deathbed and I'll go, uh, because he said it so many times and it means for all nations. The gospel is now for all nations. This is what not only Matthew is about, but all the gospels that are about. It's what Acts is about and all the new Testament. It's about God coming now for all the nations. This is the context of his commission to us. Yet the early church had a problem grasping this. The early disciples did many great things. They did miraculous things in the name of Jesus. They healed and preached with power. They had great courage when threatened. But early on, they just kind of hung out in Jerusalem. God had to raise up men who would go out of Jerusalem. He says, You need to go to all nations. It is no longer just for the Jew, but now for the Gentile. And the means to do these things, to go make disciples of all nations, is threefold. How are you to make disciples? You are to baptize them in the name of the triune God. Go into all the world baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In this we confess an equality in the Godhead. We identify with Jesus through this public act of baptism, and we understand that this is about discipleship making. We are to be baptizing. We uh, here, you know, we baptize our infants, and I think this is right. And we, I can make biblical argument for this. But I think we also have to stress: Are we here baptizing new converts? That is an important thing. For even us as our Reformed Presbyterian Church who does get babies wet, it's important for us to be baptizing people who had nothing to do with the church because that's what he has commanded us to do. I think that a mark of a healthy church is the baptizing of those new converts and their households. Let's sneak that in. We are to baptize. What else are we to do? We are to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Uh, He's basically saying, you need to teach them to obey me. Disciples must obey everything Jesus says. Where do we find what we are to obey? We find it in his word, in the word of God. Jesus for us throughout Matthew is, we, we could go back, we could spend... Hours and days as we, years as we have, and look at all the teaching of Jesus. But just uh, even as we consider back and we look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Surely I say to you, it's not just thou shalt not kill. You should not hate. Uh, You should not despise. You should not mock your brother. For if you hate and despise and mock your brother, then you have killed him. You have broken the commandment. He teaches them how they are to obey this. We are to obey all that he has taught us, even even those things we don't want to obey. Uh, The irony in all of this is that I could stand here before you and I could say, my children, these are the things I want them to do and these are the things that they don't do. She doesn't even know I'm talking about her right now. (laughs) But the reality is this. God has come to me and said, there's things that I want you to do, and there's things I don't want to do. The reality is this, that I'm no different than my children at times before God, correct? Uh, I could go into meddling at this point. But what, what do we do with the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, the fourth moral law? How are we to obey that? We have to obey all that he has commanded us. And we see the sweep of this commission in the fourfold repeating of this word All He stresses this. Jesus has all authority. We are to make disciples of all nations by teaching all he commands. And he will be with us always. Even to the end of the age. Now I have to ask you this question. Is this just too lofty of a goal? Jesus has set us a standard that is too high. And yet, even in considering that question, I think it's important for us to consider Matthew. Matthew has been present, in a way, uh, throughout our whole study of this book. He has been our author, our writer, our uh, perspective from which we're receiving all this written down. But who is Matthew? Matthew, the despised tax collector? The traitor according to his nation, the same disciple who fled when all the other disciples fled, and yet God uses him to write these words down for us. We have to remember who Jesus is, he loves us, he has the strength, he has the skill. He has the will to deliver us. And he has done this by dying in our place. He has risen for our life. And now he charges us to go. Go and grow into full discipleship. To live in his presence. To fulfill his great commission. We read this responsive reading today and i know at times the language of the puritans can be hard but there's just a few things i just love from this oh that all men might love and praise thee that thou mightest have all glory from the intelligent world and later down, later down it says lord use me as thou will do with me as thou will. But, oh, promote thy cause. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. Uh, this, was, this, this passage here is crying out. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let this commission be fulfilled. It, it, it ends by saying this. It is thy cause and kingdom I long for, not my own. Brothers and sisters, it is is it his cause and kingdom that you long for we know the story of the gospel we've all heard it we a lot of us here have grown up with it we know the wondrous thing that jesus has done for us we know the grace and favor that we received that we did not deserve we knew what we know what he has done in his life. That he came and he perfectly followed the law. That he did not deserve the punishment that he received. But he stood in our place and received that punishment. We know the gospel. It cannot become a pedantic or nonchalant term for us. The gospel. the word itself even can be overused and neglected and yeah, 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 got it, gospel, got it. We hear it all the time. But knowing the gospel, knowing truly what Jesus has done for you, how will you respond? We have been called to a task. Each of us who has called Jesus our own, has been called to a task, not just those who commit their life to the mission field. We are all missionaries. We all are to go and make disciples. It is the most important thing that we can do in our lives to grow people in the faith. I think in the church, Lately, there's been a culture that is concerned with converts. What do I mean by that? Once the profession of faith is made, that's all that's important. Once we get someone to profess, then we can move on and we can get someone else to profess. But Jesus says, Make disciples. We have to be concerned with disciple making. We must be growing people in the faith, in knowledge of faith and love. And if a church is not marked by this thing, if we can't look at our church and say, we are following the Great Commission, then it is no church. It is no church at all. We have to be about this, each of us, both individually and collectively devoting our lives to the one who has all authority to the one who, is always, who will always be with us even till he comes again and we have to be making disciples so I ask you Lakewood Presbyterian Church Pell City, Alabama what will you be? what will you be? Will you be someone who neglects what Jesus has taught us and commanded us to do? Or out of love for what he has done, will you boldly step from this place into this world, making disciples? Yes, telling people about the story of Jesus, telling people about what Jesus has done for you. Telling people what Jesus can do for them. And then not merely being content with a profession of faith. And at times, the profession is the easy part. You may scoff at that. But you can get someone to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But you know what comes after that? Rolling up your sleeves. Getting into their life, getting into their sin on a daily basis, opening yourself up to their own sin to hurt you, opening them up to your sin, hurting them, and yet trudging along, building and growing them in the gospel. Relationships are so hard, aren't they? Because they require something of us. But he says this, go make disciples. Don't be content with children in the faith. Grow them, make them strong, prepare them for my work. This is what he has called us to. And it is hard and it is dirty and it is messy and it's not always fun. And sometimes it's a 2 a.m. or a 3 a.m. phone call. And it's dropping what you're doing and going and helping and all these things. And it's hard. It's inconvenient. It's troubling. And yet as we look at it in the light of the cross. And we look at it in the light of eternity. Oh, what a blessing it is. That we can be involved. He doesn't need us he uses us for the glory of his kingdom, for the building of our own faith. Brothers and sisters, it's my prayer that this commission and all that comes before it, the gospel upon which it stands, would so grab our hearts that we cannot help but obey it. Oh, would that be true? Would it be true for us? How would that change things? Not only as a church, and that would be great for us as a church, but how would it change this city? If we were so gripped with the Great Commission, how would it change this city? How would it change the state? If it became infectious and churches became so consumed with making disciples, it's how his kingdom was meant to be built. That's how he's commanded us to build it. So let's go. Let's go forth and be builders. Be workers. Be laborers. Be disciple makers. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come to the conclusion of this gospel. And we are in all of you of what you have done, and what you have called us to. Lord, we come openly admitting that this is not natural to us, and we need your help. Help us to be disciple-makers. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.